You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Well, good morning, One Church, Agent Court Campus, and Clear Lee Campus. How are you doing this morning? You good? I want to ask you a question. How many of you have ever had the hiccups? You ever had the hiccups? Yeah, they're not pleasant, are they? Kind of reminds me of the guy who went into a drugstore and asked the pharmacist, do you have a cure for the hiccups? The pharmacist says to him, well, just go down aisle three. So the gentleman goes down aisle three, and while he's looking around, the pharmacist sneaks up behind him, and at the top of his voice, he goes, boo, and at the same time, kicks his legs out from underneath him, and the guy falls flat on his back. And he's looking up at the pharmacist and he says, why did you do that? And the pharmacist responds, I bet you don't have the hiccups anymore. And the man says, I never had the hiccups in the first place. It's my wife out in the car who has the hiccups. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you're asking the question, why? That's what happened with Job. And we've been in this wisdom series looking at Job's life. And I love how Pastor Keith kind of kicked off this whole uh, subject of of the life of Job. And he reminded us that Job's trials were 301 trials that required 301 faith. What a powerful statement. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Job's friends, and they weren't a lot of help either. But now we come to the end of the story, and in Job chapter 42, verse 12, it says this. It says that God blessed Job's life later, Job's later life even more than his earlier life. And he goes on in verse 16 to say that Job lived, and if I can just pause there for a second and say this, that he lived through the loss of, of his family, He lived through the loss of wealth. He lived through the loss of success. He lived through the loss of his wife's faith. But it says that Job lived another 140 years, living to see his children and his grandchildren. In fact, Job chapter 42 goes on to say that he doubled his possessions. That meant more sheep, more camels, more oxen, more donkeys. In other words, more money, more success and more wealth. But it begs the question, what is the real point of Job's story? Sometimes we hear statements like the patience of Job. Is that what it was about? Was it about Job being patient to see new blessings replace old blessings? Is that the point of the story? And I would say that Job's big blessing was not the wealth, it was not the success, it was not the family, but it was the transformation, the affirmation, and the restoration that he received from God. So yes, Job lived, and he lived through the loss of health and wealth and family, and yes, God blessed him more in his later life than in his earlier life. But here's the point. We're not all like Job. We may not experience everything that Job experienced, but we have the same God that Job had. 
And although the life of Job does not give us solutions to our problems, it does give us a revelation of the greatness of God. So let's pause and let's look at Job's transformation. If you look at chapter 38 of Job, you will see that God begins to speak to Job out of a storm. And I want you to remember that for a moment, because we're going to come back to it in a couple seconds. But what is interesting of God speaking to Job is that he did not give Job the answers that he was looking for. Sometimes we have a lot of why questions when we're going through something. And Job had a lot of why questions. Why did this happen? But God did not pause and go, okay, Job, I get it. You've been going through a hard time. Let me explain what happened. You know, the devil, he came to me. He said that, you know, if I let this happen, you'll curse me. And I said, no way. Job's a lot stronger than this. And so we thought we would test you and see how strong you are. That's not what happened. In fact, God did not answer any of Job's why questions In fact, God actually began to question Job because he had a few questions of his own. But God did this not to intimidate Job, not to put Job down, not to make Job feel small, but rather to remind Job that he, God, is greater and more powerful than Job could ever understand. And Job needed to be reminded of that. Sometimes we don't appreciate those kind of conversations, though, do we? Every once in a while, I'll get into a serious conversation with my wife. And we'll be talking, and I will say something, and it must be profound because she will pause and stop and go, okay, yes, dear, you're right. And I will look at her and say, I'm sorry, can you repeat that again? But in case you ever try to use that on your spouse, just know what goes around comes around. Because there have been times she's said something to me and I've said, yes, you're right. And she will say, I'm sorry, can you repeat that again? After hearing that God was greater and more powerful than he could ever understand, Job had no more arguments. Listen to how the Message Bible paraphrases Job's response. Look at this says that Job answered God, I am convinced you can do anything and everything and nothing and no one can upset your plans. You asked, who is this muddying the waters and arrogantly confusing the issue, second guessing my purposes? And I admit it, I was the one. I babbled on about things far beyond me, made small talk about wonders way over my head. You told me, Listen and let me do the talking. Let me ask the questions. You give the answers. And I admit, once I lived by rumors of you, but now I have it all firsthand from my own eyes and ears. I am sorry. Forgive me. I'll never do that again, I promise. I will never again live on crusts of hearsay and crumbs of rumor. I like how the NIV Bible articulates Job's words in this this last section. It says, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. In other words, Job now had heard, he had heard the facts, but now he was a witness to the truth. There's a difference between fact and truth. 
The fact was, yes, Job was suffering. He lost his family. His marriage was in ruins. His income was gone. His wealth was gone. His health was in bad shape. And those were the facts. You couldn't change that. And Job's friends came along. They tried to justify the facts. They tried to put the blame on him and say, you know what? You brought this on yourself. But the truth was, God never changed. He was still the same God who cared enough for Job to not let Satan destroy him. The truth was, God was not unaware of Job's circumstances. God was still in the midst of the trial holding on to Job. The truth was, is that God was not powerless to what Satan was inflicting on him. Sometimes we get into the middle of a difficult situation and we think, God, are you powerless in this? Can you not change this? But God was not powerless. The truth was God had not abandoned Job. Psalms 121 reminds us of this. Let me read it to you. It says this, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forever. Job became a witness of who God was. And Job changed his mind about who God was and how God was dealing with him. Now, a moment ago, I said, remember this. God spoke out of a storm. You see, so many times in our lives, it's only when we are in the midst of a storm that we actually hear God speak. It's when we are in the midst of turmoil and distress that we actually become willing to listen to God speak to us. In fact, the whole context of that is simply this, that it's in the midst of the turmoil and the distress, the storm, that we will actually lean in to hear God's voice speak to us. And that was the significant turning point for Job. In the original language that this was written in, the word repent means to change, to change the way that you think. When Job repented, he was still in the middle of the suffering. He was still in the middle of the pain, and there was no real end in sight. It's not like he could say, okay, you know what, I'm going to to repent. I'm going to say I'm sorry, and tomorrow's going to be a better day. Job had no indication of that. Job did not know what would happen. He was still very much grieving over the loss of his children. And I'm sure that it was still very real and raw within his heart. His body was still covered with painful sores. So there was no guarantee that just simply saying, I'm sorry, would change his circumstance. But after seeing God, he changed his mind and he changed his attitude about God. This is transformation. You see, you can change your attitude a lot easier than you can change your circumstances. I trust that as you've been a part of the series with us, as we've been going through this, that you've joined our reading plan. If you haven't, Before you leave today, there are some stands by the door and there are some cards like this. Stop and grab one. Go to our website, onechurch.to 
slash wisdom plan and become a part of the reading plan. Get into it. It's not too late. It doesn't matter how far we are in the series. Just jump in and begin to read because sometimes we need to be reminded of who God is. We need that fresh revelation of God. We need to be reminded that God is still in control, that he has not forgotten you, that God knows your days from beginning to end. Sometimes we have absolutely no control over our painful circumstances, but we do have the power to change our attitude about our circumstances. The Apostle Paul speaks of this. And before I read it, I just want you to know this, that he was a wrongly convicted prisoner when he wrote this. In fact, we know that he was actually under house arrest at this moment and that his life was about to come to an end. But this is what he wrote. He said, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me the strength. The key phrase in this statement are the first three words. I have learned. You see, our natural inclination, when we are in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, our natural inclination is not to step back and go, I think I should rethink this. I think I should change the way I think about this. That's not our natural inclination. When we are in the middle of pain and suffering, our natural response is to cry, to call out, to yell, to get angry, to be frustrated. Those are our natural responses when we are in the midst of pain. In order for us to change the way that we think or change our attitude, that is a learned behavior. Paul, when he wrote this, didn't say, you know, I just happened to stumble across this. No, he said, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. You see, we need God's word to transform us and to remind us of who he is in order for us to transform our thinking and transform our attitudes. So we also, so we need, we need God to transform us, but we also need to be reminded that it is God who affirms us. How many of you could say that you have some miserable comforters in your life? You know what this person, this type of person is. You know, you're going through something hard. There's a person who will come along you and say, you know what, it's okay, you're gonna make it. But there's always that one person that comes along that says, yeah, look at you. Look at what you're going through. You deserve this. You ever have one like that? You do, don't you? Sometimes we have them. Job had friends like that, and he described them as miserable comforters. Instead of supporting Job, they accused him of being a wicked man who was getting everything that he deserved. But in verse 7 of chapter 42, God spoke to Job's friends, and he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends because... You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. You see, Job wasn't suffering because he was the worst of men. Job was suffering because he was the best of men. That's how Satan described Job to God in Job chapter 1. 
And as you read through God's response to Job's friends, four times God calls Job my servant. You know, when we are in the midst of pain and and we're going through something, it's not uncommon for people to point their fingers at us and say hurtful things. But listen to this. How we respond is crucial to our future blessing. You know, sometimes when someone is hurting us, we may want to retaliate. We may want to curse them, call them down, give them a name, berate them in some way. We want to defend ourselves because when we are in pain and then somebody comes along and they add to that pain, we want to do something about it. We want to defend ourselves, pull our phone out, right? Begin to tweet to the rest of the world just how horrible, how vile that person is. And if we don't have enough words, and come on, I know that you may have done this, you'll right-click on that word, and you'll go to the synonym button, and you'll choose a whole bunch more words just to be able to say what you want to say to the rest of the world, this person hurt me. I am hurt, right? Sometimes we even put, we don't put it out there publicly. We just hold on to it inside. And we repeat those words over and over in our minds, mentally putting up a defense about how we feel. Throughout the entire conversation with his friends, Job did exactly that. He worked hard to defend himself. Imagine a court scene. It was as if Job put God on trial. In chapter 7, verse 20, Job demanded of God, God, have have I sinned? Have I done something wrong? Why have you set me as your target? Later on to his friends, he says, my argument isn't with you. My argument is with God. And Job was busy defending himself. And while Job was busy defending himself, God wouldn't defend him. But in chapter 38, God put Job on trial. And he said this, he says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I set them into position? It's only when Job stopped defending himself that God began to defend him. Look at Psalms chapter five, verse 11. Of God, it says this, you'll welcome us with open arms when we run for cover to you. In chapter 68 of Psalms, verse 5, it says, Father of orphans, champion of widows, is God in his holy house. God makes homes for the homeless and leads prisoners to freedom. Do you know that there's only one person that God defends? Do you know who that is? There's only one person God defends, and that is the defenseless. That's the whole context of this scripture, that God defends the defenseless. When Job gave up, when he stopped talking and he started repenting, God stepped in and began to defend him. We don't know how long it took, but we just know that it happened. So not only did God transform Job in the midst of the pain and the trial, but God affirmed Job by defending him and then he restored him. Verse nine and 10, it says, that God accepted Job's prayer. And after Job interceded for his friends, God restored his fortune and then doubled it. Notice this. It's God 
who restored his fortune. Not him, not what he did, but it was God. I want to say two things about blessing before we go on to talk about what we are to do with blessing. Two things about blessing. First of all, unless there is real transformation, there will be no real blessing. You see, God doesn't bless bad behavior. James chapter 4, verse 17 says that if anyone knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, that for them is sin. God doesn't bless bad behavior. Here's the second thing we need to know about blessing. In order for there to be affirmation, there has to be a change in the way that we think. What we think about God, what we think about who God is, how we see ourselves in light of how big God is. And here's why. If we are given a big blessing while we are still trying to defend ourselves, while we are still trying to make the point that we are hurting, how would we use that big blessing? More than likely, we would use it to to appease ourselves, to ease that pain, to perhaps manipulate the circumstances around us, to, to use it to our benefit, rather than to use those big blessings to the purposes to which God has determined them for you. There's a Canadian band that made their debut onto the music scene with a song. You might recognize the title, and it's called If I Had a Million Dollars. And we may think that a big blessing is like winning the lottery. If only I had something. If only I had a million dollars. Can you imagine what I would do? If only I had, and fill in the blank. Do you know that studies show that big lottery winners are more likely to declare bankruptcy in the first three to five years after winning that big win? Most people who make it to the top 1% of, of wage earners usually do not stay at the top. And instead of being happy and financially stable, big lottery winners often end up in more trouble and worse life situation. But when we allow God to transform the way that we think and affirm and defend our lives, it really redefines what a big blessing is. Job's loss illustrates all of the areas that we are most likely to experience suffering in family, in income, wealth, health, and marriage. Very few of us will ever lose everything just like Job did. Some of us will never even see the restoration that Job saw. But that does not mean that we will not experience a blessing and the outcome of the circumstances that we've been going through. In Job's case, Job's marriage needed healing because his wife had told him to curse God and die. Job's family needed to be restored, and he was given a second chance with seven sons and three daughters. Job's career needed a reboot, a reboot and he rebuilt a business on sheep and camels and, and oxen and donkeys. But remember, Job lost everything, and so he needed help even in the midst of his poverty. And the Bible tells us that his brothers and his sisters and his friends came around him to encourage him and to give him money so that he could start again. For you today, 
Your big blessing may be the healing of a broken marriage or a broken relationship, or it may not, but there may be a greater good that you cannot yet see because you are still in the midst of the difficulty of the trial that you're going through. Your big blessing may be a second chance with your family or an opportunity to comfort someone who didn't get that second chance. A big blessing might be a job promotion because as we have come through these difficult times and these trials, we can now be trusted to serve that promotion well. It may be an increase in wealth. A big blessing could be any number of things. But before we go opening up our mail, hoping to find that million dollar check, I want to remind you that there is one biblical reason why we are given big blessings. Are you ready for this? Here it is. We are blessed to bless. That's it. We are blessed to bless. And there are three expressions of how we do that. And the first one is this, is that we are blessed to bless others. Listen to how the Apostle Paul explains the use of big blessings in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be, say it with me, generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. We live in a culture and a society that almost every day dictates to us that we need to be striving for something better. You know, it might be, you know, trading that car for a better car or get a bigger house or a better house or get another style of clothing or a brand name or, or better shoes. And it's selfish and it's self-centeredness. But according to Paul, God makes you rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. That's why we are blessed. And God doesn't bless you to be greedy. He blesses you so that you can be generous. In marriage, especially in marriage, there needs to be generosity in family, in work, in school, in your university. Be generous with words of encouragement. Be generous in acts of kindness. Be generous in deeds of love. And be generous with wealth. If you have much, then give away more. Because we are blessed to bless others. Secondly, we are blessed to bless God. This is why transformation is so important. If we think that the big blessings that we have is because it's something that we have worked for, that we have earned this, if our attitude is that we have what we have because of something that we have done, then we actually rob God of what is rightfully his. God reminded Israel of this in Isaiah chapter 42. He said that I am the Lord and I will not give my glory to anyone else, nor will I share my praise with idols. So how we handle big blessings is really important and it shows the world around us the truth of God's kindness that has been shown towards us. You know, do you want to see transformation in your life? Do you want to see transformation in your marriage, in your friends, in your family, your coworkers, your community? Then we need to acknowledge how God has treated you with kindness so that others can 
also begin to engage in that same process. Listen to Romans chapter two, verse four. It says that it is God's kindness that takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change. Jesus said this in Luke chapter six. He said, and I'm going to admit this right away, that this isn't easy. In fact, this is hard even for me, but it says, love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Do you know in that last line, that's actually a reflection on us, that God has been kind to us. So we are blessed to bless others, but we are also blessed to bless God. Here's the third one. We are blessed to build wealth for our future glory with God. You see, when we are just simply living this life to gain what we can gain for ourselves, we actually miss out on the greatest act of generosity that was not meant for this life, but it's meant for eternity. Jesus said this in Matthew 6. He said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. What does that mean? Does that mean that you can't have material things? Does that mean that you, you can't have a house or a car or, or new shoes? No, that's not what that means. What it means is, and the point that Jesus makes here, is that we are to value people over stuff. We are to value the things of the kingdom of God over the things that we acquire on this earth. We are to value eternity with God more than instant gratification in this moment. I want to give you a challenge. Are you ready for a challenge? Can I give you a challenge this week? This week, I want you to find three people and I want you to do something for each one of those three people. The first person that I want you to find, and I'm challenging you to do this, I want you to find someone that you can be intentionally generous with. I don't know who this person would be. It might be just a random uh, encounter, or you, just, you may need to intentionally look for someone. But I want you to find someone that you can be generous, and not just a little bit, just don't use the change in your pocket, but actually go out of your way to be really generous with them. That's the first person that I want you to find. The second person, I want to challenge you to do this. This person may not necessarily be someone that you like, right? You know who I'm, you're thinking of right now, right? Yes, because we all have people that kind of push our buttons once in a while. It might be the boss at work. It might be your neighbor. But that you know who they are. They just, you don't like them a whole lot. But here's what I want you to do with them. I want you to show them a huge act of kindness. They may push your buttons. And they may drive you crazy. But I don't know, buy them lunch. Do some work for them. Cut their grass. But do this act of kindness and just show them God's kindness in the midst of that situation. Here's the third person that I want you to find. I want you to find someone that you can talk to 
about Jesus. Maybe they don't know much about Jesus. Maybe, maybe they've never heard of him. I don't know who this person would be. It might be a coworker. It might be someone that you, you travel with on the TTC. But find them and begin a conversation with them about Jesus. Because we are made to bless. We are blessed to bless others. We are blessed to bless God. And we are blessed to build wealth within the kingdom of God. I want to wrap this up. And I want to tell you a story. And my story really happened back in January of 2012. And it was the middle of the winter, and I had just purchased a new truck. And so it was nice and shiny and, and clean. And, and uh, my wife and I, we were here at the church, and we were leaving one night. And I needed to stop and get gas. And so we, we drove down Kennedy, and at Kennedy and Shepherd, there's a gas station there. And I pulled into the gas station, and I pulled behind a really nice brand new Ford red pickup truck. And there was a gentleman there putting some gas in and I pulled up behind him and as I was getting out of the truck, I noticed out of the corner of my eye that there was a young man coming from the bus stop that's right there on the corner. And he was beelining directly toward me. And I thought to myself, "Uh uh-oh, he's gonna ask me for something. But as he was coming towards me, In a really loud voice, he said, I love your truck. And I went, oh, okay, thank you. (laughs) He goes, and again, he says it really loud. I love your truck. And he kept coming towards me, and I'm just like, okay, this is is good. Now, remember, the guy in front of me has a nice, beautiful red pickup truck. He's not talking to him. This young man's talking to me. And he says it again really loud. I love your truck. I'm like, what are you doing that? (laughs) I'm like, okay, thank you. And now he's right in front of me and really loudly he goes, man, I love your truck. Thank you. (laughs) And then he says, can I ask a favor? Can I have some money? (laughs) He said, I haven't eaten all day. He says, I would just like to get a sandwich and a drink. And I knew in my wallet, I had a $5 bill and a $10 bill. That's all I had. And I've done this before, and it it doesn't bother me to do it. So I pulled my wallet out, and I took the $5 out, and I gave it to him. I said, here you go. And he goes, thank you, man. And I love your truck. (laughs) He goes off into the, the store there, the gas station store, and it's already getting dark because the sun is setting. And so from outside, I can see inside. And I see that he goes to the counter and he picks up a sandwich and he goes to the cooler and he takes out a drink and he goes up to the counter to pay for it. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, I want you to give him your $10 bill. And I didn't know if he would come back out. I didn't know if he would come and come talk to me or leave. I didn't know what he would do. But I pulled my wallet out and I took the $10 out. And as he came out of the store, he came back toward me. And as he was coming towards me, he had his hand out to give me the change. And I said to him, I said, you know what? I do this all the time. But not very often do I actually meet someone who does exactly what they say they're going to do. And I just watched you go get a sandwich and a drink and pay for it. I want you to keep the change. 
here's $10. It's all I have, but I want to give it to you and I want to bless you. The guy looks at me and he goes, in a very loud voice, man, I love you. And I went, like, what do you say to that? Okay, thank you. He goes, no, man, I love you. And I said, okay, okay. And he goes, no, I love you. At this point, I'm looking at the guy putting the gas in his truck, and I'm thinking, okay, what is this guy thinking? I mean, this has got to be strange. And then he grabs me, and he hugs me. And a loud voice says, I love you. I mean, what do you do at that moment? Now I'm actually looking over this guy's shoulder at the other guy in the truck. What do you do? So I put my arms around him and I hugged him and loudly said, I love you too. And the guy let go of me and he says, I got to run. I'm staying at a shelter tonight and, and they close early. If I don't get going, I may miss it. And I said, I get it. You go ahead. And as he's running away, as he passes my truck over his shoulder, very loudly, he yells out, man, I love you. I finished putting gas into my truck and I got into the truck and my wife is on her phone. She doesn't even look at me. She just says, are you finished telling strange men that you love them? Can we go home now? We went home and we made supper and we went through our evening and Liz went off to bed and, and I was sitting in the quietness of my family room and I just felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and I got up and I, I went up to the bedroom and I laid down in the dark and I, I said to my wife, I said, you know, I got a hug from Jesus today. She goes, what? I said, I got a hug from Jesus today. She goes, what are you talking about? I said, you know where Jesus said that if you do this to the least of them, you've done this to me? I got a hug from Jesus today. Folks, we are blessed to bless others. We are blessed to bless God, and we are blessed to build wealth in the kingdom of God. I don't know what stage you are, you are in right now, I don't know if there's a big challenge or a difficulty that's in front of you that's looming over you. I don't know if you are in the midst of this and, and you just feel the weight and the pain of it. I don't know if you have come out the other end of it and you're beginning to experience some good things again. But I know this. Allow God to transform the way that you think of, about God and who he is in your life. Let the pain and the difficulty and the trials shape the way that you see God. Let him into your life so that he can affirm you and defend you and walk with you and help you. And as you're coming out the end of it and you begin to experience the blessings that God has in store for you, remember this, that you are blessed to bless others. You are blessed to bless God and you are blessed to build wealth in the kingdom of God. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.